feature presentation. Welcome back to another Untitled Movie Review. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside he's allergic to tomatoes, but he is tomato meter approved, Eric Marchin. Hey, Matt, how are you? I'm good, man. Something's different. Something's different. People can see my fancy shirt and your beautiful face. How you doing? Well, you're being generous on one account, but uh, I'm doing well as as you're drinking your Coke Zero. Uh, we saw uh, Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings uh, this afternoon, so we're going to be reviewing that uh, on the first Untitled Movie uh, Reviews uh, YouTube uh, on video yes. segment. Yeah. yeah, so that's really exciting. And, you know, again, this is uh, you know, the first time we're doing something like this. So, you know, we apologize in advance if there's any bugs or technical <laughs> issues, like I'm sure you know, there the internet be, yeah. dropping out or something yeah, like that. Yeah. So this is a, a learning curve for us as much as it is, you know, to uh, enjoy. And, and, and again, I think what better way to kick things off than with a review of a Marvel Studios uh, release that is very much you know, even more so a Kickstarter into phase four than Black Widow is with Shang-Chi. Yeah. We're entering our own phase four kind of because we're entering the fourth year of Untitled Movie Podcasts and Untitled Movie Reviews. So um, our hundredth episode, you guys can check out today. It should be up uh, as you're listening to this. So uh, we're celebrating a hundred episodes and um, we launched a YouTube page and we're doing video podcasts and hopefully other video content putting up all of our reviews on video moving forward. So um, if you like watching us instead of listening to us, um, there's something for everyone now. So but you something... can still listen to us. Oh, we should totally. Reiterate we're still that. on all yeah. podcast services. Nothing's really changing on that end. Uh, the only difference is that we're giving an option for people to watch this on YouTube and hopefully open up to a different audience, you know, that people looking to get, you know, Shang-Chi uh, reactions a little bit early. Spoiler free, I will add. Like our reviews normally are, if you're new to this show, um, we don't really we try to not spoil anything that's not in a trailer. So this whole review will be spoiler free and most of our reviews are totally spoiler free as much as, you know, like if you watched all the marketing material, we're going to spoil that stuff, but we won't go into the plot details of the movie. But yes, Eric and I saw the MCU's return to cinemas exclusively because Black Widow did play on Disney Plus and in theaters. But Shang-Chi is exclusively in cinemas uh, coming out uh, next Friday, September the 3rd. Third, yep. Um, Eric, take it away. What is Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings? Well, this, as mentioned, you know, this is kind of kickstarting off uh, phase four after Black Widow, which was more of a footnote in uh, phase four, sort of ending, you know, the tying the bow of, of, of phase three and kind of giving uh, Black Widow a bit of a, a send off. Now you're really getting into the introduction of new characters that will probably eventually become uh, Avengers or at least sort of, you know, the new group. Grouping of, of what the Avengers will become later on. That's not a spoiler. It's just, you know, obviously what they're kind yeah. of setting up with this next phase and probably even into phase five uh, with Shang-Chi specifically. Uh, you have this really interesting mix of, you know, an origin story that is classically told in a way that stretches out through the entire two hours and 12 minutes, but is dulled out in a way that's part backstory that mixes the present and the past. That's also combining, you you know, uh, Kung Fu and Wuxia elements into the actual sort of classic sort of Americanized action adventure storyline with a breakout performance from Simu Liu, uh, who's probably best known uh, to Canadian audiences and internationally speaking uh, as one of the supporting uh, actors on Kim's Convenience. Um, he's very charming. He's also, you know, a professional stuntman and knows sort of his way around an action choreographed set piece. So you can tell that, you know, the stunts that he performs in the film are much much more seamless um, and at the heart of the story without getting too deep into the plot or spoiling anything what you have is a classic sort of uh, father-son uh, estrangement in that uh, the Mandarin as we come to know him in this movie is actually uh, Winyu or Winyu um, who is played by the incredible uh, Tony Leung, who a lot of um, sort of quote unquote uh, art house fans <laughs> and uh, academics will know for, you know, his collaborations with Wong Kar Wai uh, with movies like in the mood for love and chunking express. But he was also 
you know, the co-lead in Infernal Affairs, which served as the basis for the remake of The Departed, the Martin Scorsese movie. Um, He was also really wonderful in the erotic thriller Lust Caution, directed by Ang Lee. And so having him in this film and playing a complicated antagonist adds this additional layer of credibility um, to the MCU and to Marvel movies that I don't think they've gotten as of yet. Yes, they've gotten veteran actors to play, you know, key parts and supporting roles, but now they're bringing in these, you know, well-regarded international actors. Yeah. Yeah, And, and the idea of thinking like, okay, well, you know, if you can get Tony Leung, who, you know, is a combination of like your classic matinee idol, you know, who can just convey so much in one look or one gesture. And 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 again, Wong Kar Wai knows how to use him so beautifully in movies like In the Mood for Love. But then you see him here and kind of playing in uh, a milieu that is more populist. Yeah, yeah it yeah. does add this strange kind of um, credibility to a genre of films that, again, if 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 the elitists were to look at this, they might actually give it a chance because of him being in it. And it's not just like, you know, Marvel saying, oh, we're we're thinking of hiring people like Claire Denis to maybe direct a movie or taking meetings with people like that. Like sure. they actually acted on it and have somebody that is of, you know, international cinema in this movie. And I know I'm rambling on about, you know, this performance <laughs> in particular, yeah. but he really does. He's great. He's sort really, of really good i mean this almost is as much his movie as as shang chi and you know when you're watching this i also think that the 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 story itself takes elements from um guardians of the galaxy uh volume two and the falcon and the uh the winter soldier but does the first iron man movie i would say yeah yeah yeah, and retcon some things and maybe there there's some sort of plot holes there that you can dissect but does them better than some of those other movies do in terms of their their payoffs i think this is two-thirds of a really solid adventure movie that's also singular in its vision meaning that it's not just focused on being a part of the mcu and telling you know this sort of self-contained story yeah i think it's enhanced by the mcu stuff but it doesn't feel like it's forced in there and uh yeah i'll echo everything that you're saying i think i probably uh, after talking to you after the movie and things like that i think i like it a little bit more than you uh i do think that it also stumbles in that last act but that being said like uh, we'll get to that, but I, I really do feel like this is the perfect. I know with the Disney Plus shows and and Black Widow, that was technically the start of the next you know phase of the Marvel universe. But I really do feel like this is the movie that is kicking off this next phase. And you kind of said that, Eric. And I feel like it's almost come perfectly full circle. Like having this movie or be full shown, ring, right? Yeah, there you go, full circle. That works because I, I what I'm about to go into is like we started this all with that first Iron Man movie and the first organization we see are the 10 rings so to come full circle and get uh, a little bit more backstory there and then even building off some of the elements in iron man 3 um i think this is just the perfect launch pad into the next phase of the mcu and i wasn't expecting that like shang chi i was looking forward to i was excited that you know a, a fellow canadian simu liu uh, was cast as shang chi we got a ton of canadian stars going to be in the next phase of marvel and like i wasn't sure what to expect with this and and i think this movie is very different than some of the marketing materials that we've been giving there's a lot that they haven't shown you and i think that will and I shout out to their their marketing team because you'll go in and I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. Like even if you think you've seen, you know, a lot of the action sequences or you kind of know how things are going to play out. Like I think there's a ton in here that um, you're going to be surprised by. And um, the action, I know people have been kind of saying this over the last couple of weeks as reactions have started to trickle out, but um, everyone is, is right on it. Like the action sequences in this movie um, are fantastic. Like the fight choreography, going from the sequences on the bus in san francisco over to um the side of a you know a fight club building like, in macau um, yeah in macau like this uh, with scaffolding and this kind of parkour um fighting and um just you know that eric mentioned the influences from uh, you know uh, uh different 
uh, Hong Kong cinema and different things like that, martial arts movies. And like, that's all in here, but with that MCU kind of lens on it. And like, I think, like you said, Eric, like it'll bring people in who are just looking for like a really fun action movie, but then also has enough of that MCU world building that doesn't feel like forced in there, like in Iron Man two or certain places like that, that like, when they utilize the MCU stuff, whether it's uh, mentioning the snap or other things that I don't want to talk about, like I feel like they really do feel earned and they build on them and they double down on certain things, which I love. And I just think that this is like, I guess since black Panther probably, which isn't that long ago, it feels weird to be one of, I don't want to be one of those people like the best one since black Panther or anything like that. But I, I really do feel like the origin movie got kind of stale, right? And then as we got into phase three, we're getting more number two and number three of movies. And, you know, Captain Marvel, I think, fumbled a little bit. And um, and then Black Panther just crushed it. And I think this is more on the Black Panther side of, of just amazing fight sequences, a fantastic villain, um, also stumbles in the third act. Like I kind of do think Black Panther does a little bit as well. And well, with the CGI the specifically, like because it yeah. was doing so well with the practical stunt works and compositions in sort the of first with the framing. Yeah. You have cinematographer, you know, Bill Pope, who also is responsible for shooting Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2 and The Matrix. So he he knows how to choreograph action and works really well. And move that camera around. Yeah, and, with, yeah. with uh, Destin Daniel Creighton, who, uh, you know, up until now hasn't really done anything in terms of action or adventure movies has been working with Brie Larson in films like short term 12 and the glass castle and just, uh, just mercy. mercy. So, yeah. you know, his, his background is more in sort of indie dramas um, and, and short term 12. If you haven't seen that, definitely, you know, seek that movie Fantastic. out. It has an yeah. amazing cast. So many people in it that you're like, Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. It's like the best version. It's like a better version of St. Elmo's fire where you look back and you'd be like, Oh, that's where all these people kind of got like their big start. And, you know, from Brie Larson to, you know, Lakeith Stanfield to Rami Malek, it's uh, Caitlin Deaver, like all those people are amazing. And it's just a very powerful, emotionally wrought um, drama about, you know, uh, the, the foster care institute and sort of like that idea of like, you know, sort of having a second chance and also dealing with the abuse of the past. And I guess that maybe is sort of a, a connection that sort of bridges into sort of Cretan's filmography and, and here that you're looking at the past and present colliding and obviously can you forgive the sins of the past and also going on your own way you know Shang-Chi is somebody who for all intents and purposes resents who his father is and as yeah. we learn about his story over the course of the two hours and 12 minutes which i do think is a little bit long and it you might get a little fidgety here and there i think it does slow down in that in that second half yeah uh, but maybe let, to your point but, but let mean, me say this though with the slowing pretty, down thing i i think i still think it is a very western approach to the filmmaking because mm -hmm. i mentioned you know wuxia cinema and and kung fu cinema and yeah. and those movies are paced in a way that take a lot of time to kind of build to either a big action set piece or sort of a fight scene that plays out almost like dance choreography that's so beautifully composed Which I think and you elegant. Get in here. You do, but those movies do move a lot slower and you can tell that, you know, even though at times this movie does feel very much like it is taking those Asian influences and honoring them, it still also is understanding that this is, you know, first an and MCU foremost, movie. an MCU movie made <laughs> yeah. for Western audiences, but it doesn't shy away from paying homage to, you know, those classic styles of filmmaking. And to the point of you have, you know, these characters interacting in a way, you know, that are talking about honor and also, you know, the importance of a name and what that means and, you know, cultural significance that, again, will probably have more meaning to an Asian American audience or, you know, internationally speaking, that will probably go above our heads a little bit because, again, you know, we understand we're two white guys on YouTube talking about this and on a podcast talking about it. And, you know, I just appreciate that they are making the attempt to actually interject some of that into the film and sort of try to be universal, but also specific within the context of this story, which I think is really, really wonderful to do. And again, Marvel has gotten comfortable enough now where they're allowing their filmmakers to really sort of experiment a little bit more, but also, you know, 
have fully realized performances and characters because you look at someone like Chris Hemsworth in the first Thor movie, he's a little bit kind of shaky at times. And even yeah. though, you know, this wasn't Thor, Thor wasn't his first big movie. I mean, he was in the David Tui film, a perfect getaway and was a soap opera actor in, in, in Australia and was on the, the dances with the stars version of Australia at that time. And, and Liu is not, you know, just he's not a newbie either he's you know he's had you know kim's convenience and episodes of taken and things like that but liu's performance here feels more confident um it it, it feels more driven by charisma and yeah. agility and athleticism in a way that hemsworth became more comfortable over a period of of two to three films that he kind of finally got into his 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 own uh in you know thor ragnarok and really into uh avengers infinity war where liu kind of feels fully formed maybe with the exception of the the comedic back and forth between aquafina and him to begin with i was with. gonna bring that up like I, I would say i totally agree with you that i feel like he crushed it right out of the gate where i'm with you where even captain marvel one of our biggest kind of criticisms is that brie larson like i love her and i think she does a decent job as, as captain marvel she still felt like she was you know shooting some stuff out of order and and jumping into that movie like i felt like she never had a full like I, I she had way more potential um than what was given in that movie and i feel like simu liu um right off the gate i was a little I, i'm with you there's a scene at a you know a bar or restaurant with their friends and um a back and forth with aquafina's character which we'll get to probably in one second um that i was like oh i i don't know if i like this like line delivery i'm like i don't it feels a little rough like you could tell like even the cuts and someone delivering a line like the stuff that kind of just really stands out to me when i can tell someone is acting and um right away I, that's the first thing i noticed so i'm kind of like oh no like it does start with like an action sequence so this is probably that you know right after he you know gets out of bed and does some insane push-ups and stuff like that he looks great <laughs> um but the first like line delivery with him and i like the moment at the car or at the um the valet service and kind of things but when they're talking with their friends i'm like oh there's something rough about this and then going over to aquafina like i love her too but like um i think she's probably one of the weaker parts of the movie and uh without being like that third act that we'll talk about but um she works uh, better in the contemporary settings yeah. than she does in the third act Fantastical of the film stuff, and in yeah. the mythical elements of the storyline because she's obviously partly there to be the comedic relief and what i do like about katie and 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 her sort of relationship with chung is 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 that there it doesn't feel like this forced romantic relationship no, like there's totally elements platonic, of like but, but like, there is elements of like okay maybe yeah. they will eventually you know become a couple down the line they've known each other since high school you know they're they're best friends like it's not something that's kind of forced where you have a love interest sort of interjected into a storyline because you need a romantic element in place like this kind of feels genuinely like you know they they love each other for who they are and they're very comfortable and you know maybe they're not there in terms of their relationship as of yet in, in terms of romantic aspects but i really like that it didn't feel forced or that i it love felt their friendship sleazy but, in any way yeah. right like or manipulative no, totally. in that kind of way of like okay we have to have like a you know a love story here he, as or, well yeah. he needs to save her and there needs to be a kiss kind of thing like there was none of that and i like their platonic relationship i like the relationship with her family because obviously he doesn't have any in san francisco and just um, yeah, man. I, I mean, he crushes it. I, I love Aquafina and I think that she, there are some great lines from her. I just think what she was given and the way that her character was written doesn't totally work. And I would have, I don't, I think you don't need her in that last act. And I, and unfortunately, like, well, or she's almost like, we, we talked about Matt Damon in Stillwater kind of sticking out at times, um, you know, when he's seeming like a different movie. Right? Yeah, because like that film feels almost like you're watching a European art house film when, you know, he's walking around Marseille in, in, in France. And then like the times when he's not in in the movie, which are very little um, compared to Aquafina, who's who is more supporting player where Damon's a lead in, in his movie in, in Stillwater. 
it, it's kind of jarring and you almost feel that way where like Aquafina, you know, is the comedic relief. She works a little bit better in, you know, the 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 contemporary settings, like even to the point where they give her character like a fanny pack. Like it just kind of feels like she's given the sidekick role and and she is she is great in other stuff and she's not bad here either. Like she, she does have some moments that work, but you look at the performance that she gave in the farewell and how internalized that was. You're yeah. not going to get that performance here. No, you know, you're going to get more of kind of the, the broad comedic spectrum of, of what she can do. And it's similar to, to Raya and, and the last dragon where it almost felt like, again, you're, you're, yeah. you're having a, a comedic actor uh, who's kind of popular at the moment, but I think Aquafina has a great career ahead of her. Like she won't kind of burn out like some, comedians do like being the flavor of the week kind of thing and you said in the farewell she gives it like a legitimately great performance yeah but it but almost like again it feels like you know if you were to have like robin williams or something like in your in your movie and then like he's always the guy that you cut to for like uh, a self-aware joke on like oh i can't believe this this is happening this is strange and it's like we get it it is a very you know like each world that we're introduced in a marvel setting is strange we don't always need sort of a, a peanut gallery yeah, we get or, it or i think audience. everyone in this world gets Gets it at this point yeah you know? exactly like half the they make a joke about half the world disappearing and coming back but um yeah man i i just going into that last act so i really i totally agree with you where that first two thirds i think is a really great action adventure movie and i think each set piece like there hasn't been a marvel movie in a while where and even with the disney plus stuff which we've talked about on the main show and reviewed episodes i'm enjoying what if like but like i got a little giddy during each action sequence like i haven't for a while like watched a sequence and went like holy fuck like i remember watching the black panther casino sequence for the first time and the way that the music kicks in and the way that that fight scene is choreographed and, and breaks out over that whole casino is like it's pray for is, me the is, song right but, but yes, the weekend, yeah right? yeah yeah, it's incredible. And I remember watching that with you and feeling giddy afterwards. And I feel like there are multiple moments in this movie. There's a sequence on a bus that I mentioned and that a synthy score comes in and Eric will say, it's the second best bus scene of the year because nobody did it better. Um, well, it, it's different. We had this conversation afterwards, but I feel both like- Both scenes are great. Both scenes, like both scenes have a different sort of overall a, aesthetic. But yeah, the, to reveal, you know, that these characters are also Can badasses ass, yeah. in, in sort of times yeah. of, of, of stress and crisis. Now we just- need those characters to team up and we're good well get Put keanu on. reeves in there too yeah. get us oh, like yeah, a I speed know. sort of like you know yeah. thriller all I've been on wanting, a bus i've been having a craving to rewatch speed it's a great I movie know it just came out in 4k right yeah um, i think so yeah. but anyways um like there are multiple times throughout this movie uh, that i was like and Joel P. West also like, did the score. We should mention yeah. that as well because he has also worked with uh, Creighton on everything that he has done previously. And I think it has a it's a really interesting, cool score. Like I just mentioned, a big synthy moment, but then it has kind of more you know classical, fantastical elements to the score as well, and then your classic MCU kind of sounding stuff as well. Like I feel like it doesn't just have one consistent sound. Like I feel like it changes based on the setting, and the movie changes based on the the settings that they're in. Right, like the San Francisco stuff feels much different than you know the middle part of the movie to the last act of the movie that are all in a very distinct kind of location and like i mean again from the trailers there's the fight club sequence that we thought might have been in madripoor is is not in madripoor it's macau um macau um but it is this kind of interesting fight club thing where you get the reveal of like the abomination versus wong kind of thing which we got in the trailer so that's not spoiling anything but like um that's just kind of like a fun MCU kind of thing too. That just feels like weird and like, and why Wong would be there fighting and like why abomination just randomly after, you know, 10 years um, uh, just shows up again and why he's not, um, as he's referred he's, to though as a meal which is interesting because you think like t tim roth is credited and it's like what do you think like how much did you time... actually think he he did the mocap for it i i, I have no but... idea i mean he's supposed to be the main villain in the she hulk series so I, i'm also now curious to see how that will work kind of introducing him that but that kind of felt to me like the most shoehorn 
thing in I agree. sort of this storyline where it's like, okay, well, we have to have certain connective tissue throughout the film. And I will you know, say Benedict both Wong of those is, threads, is great, yeah. but um it it like it doesn't feel like it's it's necessary overall to have that scene. Like you could you could just have Easter eggs of of seeing other characters, which you do, you know, fighting in in this sort of fight club uh arena and, and sort of like the smaller um venues and and i think that that's enough but i understand as well that you need to also remind you know mcu fans that yes this is a part of it because a lot of this is its own storyline and i think the strongest aspect of this is the idea of it's partly a redemption story but it's also you know looking at somebody that's very close to you and 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 being driven um by personal motivations whether it is to escape from somebody that you are familiar with or um to you know embrace who you are and 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 accept the good and the bad with that and also the the grief and loss of 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 losing somebody and how messy that is and i think that this is a better movie to deal with family than mm-hmm. black widow and the fast and the furious be, movies yeah. and it feels like this is truly the first marvel film that has that aspect of of the theme of family and, and estrangement you know we haven't even gotten into um the sister who's played by uh oh, yeah. monger zhang um and she it, this is her first film like this is like the first thing i know that she's i googled, credited I googled her and you can find her acting real on vimeo it's one of the first things that pops up from 2019 and i'm like uh i clicked on it and started watching it and i'm like oh my god like yeah this is from two years ago and she's in acting school in the thing like it's her acting real from acting school um she's great in this i think yeah as, as yeah. zaline and and it almost reminded me, you know, you, you spoke of Black Panther, like it reminded me of like when you see Winston Duke for the first time in yeah. Black Panther and you're like, who is this guy? And you're like, you, you don't know who and, and thinking of like nine days and, and speaking of Benedict Wong, who's also in nine days as well. Um, you know, you, you get to see these wonderful opportunities and facets to you know an actor who looks like you know your classic 80s action star and then you know that movie gave him the opportunity to make this small little indie film about you know uh souls wanting to be born and and sent to earth so you know i i hope to see more of her because she again is for a first film she steals scenes she from it. the rest yeah, yeah. Of, of, of the cast. And uh, again, I mean, I've, I've already said, you know, how much I love oh, Tony even, Leung. Yeah, you went into it, but I will echo everything. Like, he fucking rules in this movie. He's like, his so speech good. about sort of what a name means and, and sort of what Winwu, uh, you know, represents overall is like you watch him and you're just, you're eating out of the palm of his hand. He, oh, he yeah. captivates you in every moment of this movie. And you almost kind of wish it was from the perspective of him because you don't want him to leave. You don't no, want him I to, know. you don't, you, as much as I like uh, Simu Liu, I, I just, I felt like, and again, watching a lot of the Wong Kar Wai movies over this year. And that's another thing. Like if people love Leung's performance here, here, yeah, please please go to criterion and 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 you know maybe it, it, it's a little bit expensive but if you're if you're interested you know purchase the wong kar wai box set it's it's worth the investment to see the collaborations between him and and, and the director and and again he's one of those guys it's just like anything he's in he always adds this level of mystique um, but also authority and respect and he can be menacing. And I think like you're looking at a character that starts as a warlord and, you know, in the modern world that he, you know, continues on in and creates his empire. He also shows that he can be a man and a human and, and, you know, find happiness and humanity, even if it's brief and his personal motivations don't necessarily make him, a typical villain. And we were talking a little bit about this, you know, after the screening that I think Marvel has gotten a lot better uh, with their antagonists and making them more complicated. And they live and die on these things too. Right. And the better the villain, the better the movie usually is too. Like, I'm not saying like there are some good Marvel movies. that don't have great villains. Like, I don't think like, I love Ragnarok, but I don't think Hela is a great villain, but even though she's a great looking villain, just the look of that character is awesome. But you look at Michael B. Jordan and black Panther, you look at Michael, 
Michael Keaton in Spider-Man yep. Homecoming. I was going to name the same you, ones. Yeah. Even Thanos, who is is like B. Jordan and and Keaton, their you know motivations or objectives are, are much personal are personal and, like, and yeah. smaller. Where Thanos yeah. is still, you know, I want to change the world in my image. Yes. But it's a little bit more grandiose, which kind of. But I mean. But there's still a personal motivation yes. to him in yeah, especially yeah. Infinity War, where, you know, when Marvel was starting to in the first three phases, one of their biggest criticisms, along with what you mentioned with, you know, the third act being a CGI laden battle, um, they've they've gotten much even with Loki, the way that they've shaded Loki in in the series, I think that they've given tom hiddleston more layers to work with and defining him as an anti-hero mm-hmm. um and then you know going into that that third act again i i'm disappointed a little bit as well because of this film coming out after the suicide squad and thinking how well done a third act like that can be sort of cultivated and 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 executed within i feel you on that the yeah. monster movie genre and and you also again feel very sympathetic for uh starro in 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 that moment yeah the third act it um ultimately didn't hurt my enjoyment for the movie and i like how i mentioned how surprising the movie was and i, I feel like you get some of that fantastical element in the trailer and they give you some of that but i I don't think you're prepared most people for how fantastical that last act is and um it does end on this kind of cg you know monster fight which is something that we've seen time and time again in tons and tons of superhero movies eric just mentioned that suicide squad does it very very well but a lot of marvel movies and just superhero movies in general kind of like they feel like they don't know how to end or they need this big spectacle because they need to spend $200 million and they need to excite audiences. So they need to give you this kind of big thing. Um, but there are a couple moments in that last act where it's just a lot of CG action going on. It is like at moments you sit back and you're like, the fuck is going on in this movie um in a in not a bad way but then like it's not incoherent where you can't tell what's going on it's just it's it's very much you know it's it's mind-numbing because of how much cgi there is and i will say the theater we saw it it in is not the greatest it was dim and drop pixel and like i don't think that really helped so because i do feel like when you have these things fighting each other and it is kind of like a lot going on and it's this the projection was dim and dark and I'm like, Oh man, this is not the best way to watch this. But um, yeah, they go to this, this place that I don't want to talk about too much that um, I I was quite surprised by. I think there's influences from Pokemon there. Um, There's just like some never ending stories. The the last airbender as well. Last airbender, obviously. Yeah. 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 Um, And um, I said never ending story because there's just a few moments where it just reminded me of that. Um, But yeah, I I do think it kind of fumbles in that last act because like those sequences in Macau and San Francisco are so kinetic and so – um fluid and so energetic and so fun to watch where those are the moments that i felt giddy and then even the moments um you know uh that are a little bit more uh uh inspired by kung fu cinema and like uh, the kind of flowy dancey fantastical fantastical action sequences there are a couple of those that's wuxia by the way so so wuxia is is, is, not familiar so yeah yeah, so like the obvious example would be ang lee's crouching tiger hidden dragon but it's been around you know since that's the one most american audiences would be familiar with yes yeah Yeah. and 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 again it's almost like you're watching a dance in terms of fighting like another movie with tony leung um is is hero uh the jet lee movie that uh, right. came out in 2003 that actually i think there is a reference to that where you see uh in one scene in the in the prologue where these arrows are coming at uh tony leung and in hero you see these these arrows coming at jet lee you know and 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 okay and again we should another quick thing we should give a shout out to is um uh, stunt choreographer and stuntman um brad allen um you know worked on this film and it's one of his last movies and passed away and you know having worked with jackie chan which again you know a lot of people have been comparing um certain clips to uh that have been released on online and and there is an element also like of the the comedic sort of 
um, stylings there where you have that kind of fish out of water comedy at times. And, and I think, I mean, Jackie Chan is, is like the best of the best and like rumble in the Bronx is one of the the, the most fun nineties movies. And this film isn't afraid to have that fun. I just wish that some of the, I just wish the comedy wasn't as forced in this film. Yeah. Like it just feels like that, like, Mar- and I know the MCU is kind of prided itself on, you know, having, fun and, and being very comedic in ways that are unexpected or self-aware and, and self-referential. But there's I, one really good one that I did laugh at. And yeah. There's, there's, there's moments. moments. I mean, don't get me wrong. It doesn't, there's an airplane the gag. That is really funny. Right. And again, um, like I feel I have to give credit to the screenwriters for trying to do something a little bit different with the, with origin, the origin story, yeah, I but it also does feel it, stretched yeah. out where there are times where it's like, there, I, I think I know what you're referencing moment-wise, where I think it, if it had stopped there, yeah, it I would agree. have been perfect. It would, yeah. But but I understand as well, you know, Shang-Chi isn't a classic superhero character that's been rebooted over and over and, uh, again. Where, so you like, still need to introduce it to most audiences. Yeah, but, so they don't know I, his I'll story. I'll agree with you that after, I mean, they struggled with the origin story for a while and we've gotten to a place where, okay, let's figure out a different way to do it. And like, oh, we'll tell it in a non-linear fashion where we'll kind of drop you in, drop you out, give you little tidbits here and reveal little pieces of his backstory and and you know his mother's history and things like or that. cut out or uncle ben completely like, in in yeah. spider-man homecoming and then yeah. make robert downey jr's iron man uncle kind ben. of the yeah, the, the uncle substitute ben. Yeah. uncle ben which i think yeah. also works but here like again i applaud them for trying to do something different it just feels like ultimately it's still there but it works in terms of the sins of the father and the son not wanting that to define him as a person and wanting to be mm-hmm. his own man and yep. sort of redeem himself and and find inner peace in doing so and i think those things are really emotionally strong especially when thinking about like if you don't have maybe the greatest relationship with you know your father and you maybe keep them at a distance there was a there was a moment in this movie that hit me on an emotional level that i was kind of surprised with in terms of like how how a child sees their father versus how you know, when you grow up kind of maybe resenting them and, and you see their follies and you'll but, do anything that they say kind of, and you just look up to them no matter what. Well, no, well, that's the thing. Like, no, you reject them after a while. And well, then, after a while, I mean, as a kid, you would do yeah, anything yeah, yeah, for yes, yeah, as, yeah. as a kid and you, you idolize them. You want yes, to, no matter them. what, no matter what, you know, essentially. You, yeah. And then when you get older, you resent, you sometimes resent them or you see so much of yourself in them that you don't like what's looking back at you. And I feel that that's captured. The movie does a good, yeah. In an amazing and and very, that stuff is very subtle, but I think is, is important. Um, And, and again, you know, Winwu is a character that's not just a typical mustache twirling villain. And I think casting Leung is, which like, the is, a, is classically what the Mandarin character kind of is, 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 you know, I, I like you mentioned the scene that he has where he talks about that name that, you know, the, uh, the Americans gave him and like, he which is an orange, which is, yeah, like, and it's such a fantastic speech. And that's what I think the MCU is so great at is like, you know, we talk about this just being a very good self-contained action adventure movie with great fight sequences and like, and yeah, stumbles in the last act, but overall is like a great father-son story, family story kind of thing. But then on top of that, if you're a big MCU fan, I feel like there's so much in here that either builds on the past and what the MCU is so good at is taking things that either people didn't love how they were executed or retconning things in ways that don't feel like total retcons, but feel like you're either building on the things of the past or just changing them slightly to kind of, you know, grow with the times and things like that too. And which it does reclaim that title of the Mandarin, because when the Mandarin was created, you know, the, the racist connotation that came with it was acceptable. And the character's name was originally Fu Manchu, wasn't it? Yeah. Like, and like, or that's what uh, Shang-Chi's father was, was based on anyways, the the caricature of of Fu Manchu specifically, which is like a classic sort of caricature in, in pop culture. History so how they reworked that in 
into this and then build on that original Iron Man movie where I said like everything comes full circle. The ring is a perfect metal metaphor of launching into this new phase of the MCU after Endgame. This really feels like, you know, the first movie, even far from home in Black Widow, like this feels like the first one that's like, here's something brand new. Here's building on the past. Here's moving forward to the future. We're going to have some of the faces that you're familiar with, some new faces we're going to introduce. And we're going to take these things and even movies you like, you didn't like like Iron Man 3 that Eric and I love. Um, but <laughs> number um, one movie, you're going to take that, which really MCU. tried to define what the Mandarin was going to be in the MCU and then pulled a fast one on everyone. And I know that didn't really work for people, but like this movie builds on that with that speech and with other things like it, 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 it talks about the past and then moves it into the future. And I think this movie just does such a great job at that, at like teasing things with, you know, whether it's the thing, the history of the rings or other moments in the movie, like it does a really good job of being self-contained, but then organically setting up whether they're Easter eggs or big moments that set up the future. Because I think a huge part of these movies is that they all are interconnected and like that'll either frustrate you or annoy you about all of these movies, or you'll be totally like me into it because of that. And like the more you watch them and rewatch them. And uh, I just feel like it's made me go back and rewatch other movies. Like, after WandaVision going back and watching, um, you know, uh, Age of Ultron and liking it more because of WandaVision. Like, I really hope people watch, you know, this movie and see this iteration of, of Wenwu and, and see what they do with the Mandarin uh, character and Ten Rings in this and then go back and, you know, watch that first Iron Man movie or watch Iron Man 3. And weirdly, like this movie doesn't have direct connections per se to either of those movies. Um, but it, it builds on it. And I think that's so cool as the MCU of where we started 10 plus years ago with that first Iron Man movie. And that first group you see is the 10 rings. And we're finally now, you know, getting the history of that. And, and, you know, it is retcon, but like, and retcon can be annoying, but like when you have this big interconnected universe, there is a fun way to do it and a proper way to do it. And I think this movie kind of nails that. And like that, you know, um, you know, yes, we keep mentioning it stumbles in that last act, but for me personally, it, it never got to a point where it like soured my experience. Like there were times where I'm like, man, I really enjoyed those fight sequences earlier. And this feels just kind of something I've seen before. And that it, like, it's still kind of cool because I was not expecting what I got in that last act in this movie. Um, but it ends up just be kind of becoming a CG mis mishmash. But then the real villain of the movie being so great of Tony Leung as, as when Wu is just so good that you forget these other things that are happening and the action sequences are so good. And Simu Liu is so good. And then I'm like, man, they like, this is one of the better origin movies in the mcu and i think it's a upper tier mcu movie and i think it's kind of going to go under the radar for a lot of people like i think shang chi's again not a character people are super familiar with that like i don't know if people are like oh this is the one i'm super pumped for for the mcu i think we're all eagerly wanting to go back and see these movies in cinemas and get a new character and a fresh story but uh, i think people are going to be really really pleasantly surprised with this and i will end off on an Eric, I'll let you do your final thoughts. But um, the two post credit sequences, I think are really, really, really cool without spoiling anything. Like if you are, you know, the post credit scenes are those things for, you know, the hardcore fans of, you know, the MCU. Cause I and also like, makes sense of what we've been talking about as well in terms yeah. of like a certain thing. Yeah. And totally. we'll just leave it at that. That's all we will leave it. But I, I, I also think you will be surprised at the where I wasn't surprised with the Black Widow post credit sequence, or I was a little underwhelmed because of you know spoilers for Black Widow. We were introduced to that a character, you know, in a different thing first when it was kind of out of order. So that was like, okay, I'm interested, but you know, this doesn't seem like it has big implications. Where it really it seems like they're making this character a big thing moving forward, and that's awesome because they absolutely crushed, I think, his first uh introduction. And like, yeah, I again, I'll go back to that last act and it stops the movie from being like, you know, a fantastic movie for me um, because I kind of tune out in the CG monster mash. But um, ultimately I, I really, really dug it. And I was super pleasantly surprised as someone who, you know, was still looking forward to it uh, being a huge fan of the MCU. But um, you know, you never know. Cause like even someone like I love with Paul Rudd and Ant-Man or even Dr. Strange with Benedict Cumberbatch, like I like this movie more than those 
Uh, I felt like those were okay introductions to both of those characters, but neither like the Ant-Man movies, especially like both of them don't do anything for me. Also in San Francisco, um, there's got to connect with those two characters at some point you think, but um, this, I think just like it has some of the best action in the MCU um, has some great world building that doesn't seem forced a great score, a great lead performance, a great villain. And that's like, you know, you go to these movies for that kind of stuff. So I thought it was great. Yeah, as an origin story, I mean, mentioning uh, Ant-Man and Doctor Strange, you know, there's still room for them. I mean, more, it almost feels like it's the 11th hour now for, for Ant-Man specifically and Ant-Man and the Wasp, where it's like, you know, Quantumania is, is either going to be like the, third the do movie, or though, die. Always usually like the third movie is always the, is one the wackiest one. Yeah. But I also do feel that like maybe... Peyton Reed is a journeyman director and, and, and serviceable and gets the job done and has done some good work, you know, on, on the Mandalorian uh, recently. Mm -hmm. But I feel also like part of it is the director that you're, 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 you're choosing to behind behind the scenes. If you've, I'll let let you continue, but if you've listened to us for a while, I mean, Eric and I constantly, like, I know we're director guys anyway, like we go towards people's filmographies and not necessarily auteurs and auteur or that we believe like every film that this person does is better it's just a curiosity like as much as like who knows if the edgar wright version of ant-man would have been been any better i mean maybe if we we were in a multiverse (laughs) well there are still fingerprints of the edgar wright and and joe cornish script there it's just that it's it's a very um safe superhero movie compared to as you mentioned like you know, when you get to Iron Man three, when you get to Thor Ragnarok, um, you know, they, they, they take more chances there or let the filmmakers get a little bit more wild or, or, you know, um, add their signature to those films. And with Shang-Chi, like it, it to me feels like that this as an origin story, two thirds of it is so well done. And if it wasn't for that third act, I think it would be in my top five. Um, But I do think it is a great origin story because again, comparing it to Dr. Strange and Ant-Man, it doesn't feel like, Oh, like, yeah, I'm sure they can make improvements on a a Shang-Chi two, which they probably will. And, and, and part three down the line, but it feels like this is a full experience overall and a more fulfilling one overall compared to, you know, those, the, the first few phases of introducing new characters, maybe with the exception of the first guardians movie, which really kind of nailed the weird tone. But again, that's because they got James Gunn who has a genre background and kind of was doing his own thing. And that was so far removed from the MCU with the exception of, of, you know, Thanos himself appearing, but this kind of feels like, okay, let's tell this character's story in a way that is, you know, paying tribute to classic Asian cinema, but also, you know, is westernized enough to be accessible and is still fun, but find ways to use the blend the, both of those two, the introduction yeah. to a character in, in in a way that we haven't seen before and i think that that all works i i think my one of my i'm gonna give it a three and a half out of five um one of the other things that kind of soured me not necessarily on the film it's just uh one of the music choices uh hotel oh, right. california <laughs> uh by the eagles which yeah. you know like the dude in the big lebowski um i hate the eagles it's it's one of those boomer groups that i just never really got into in the movie it's used ironically a little yes. bit yeah. and it, and it is and it does come back again but it's not used in the actual film itself um what was it's not a diegetic or used in the score kind of thing it's just it it's used as a story beat or a comedic beat and um where if it uh, were were if it were in guardians of the galaxy or reference in guardians it would have played or in deadpool if they ever cross over you never know shang chi might get that song in a guardians crossover right um but we also heard that song uh weirdly we on our way home eric and i get into the car and the first song that plays on the radio as we're driving away from the train station is hotel california and it's the weirdest like i get i get it 97.3 it's Boom. a huge song, but it's just weird that we just saw that movie, just got back, and the first song on the radio as we go, it's just a weird a weird thing that happens. I also, one more thing, shout out to the movie for, you know, a good chunk of it not being in English either. Yeah. Because I feel like, is it in Cantonese? Is that, I want to get the, di- like the proper, I'm not sure. Like, I, I don't know exactly. Because um, I know there's a different dialects of, you know, uh, the, 
like of yeah. Chinese that like, and I want to make sure I get that right. So I'm sorry. Uh, it, but a good chunk of the movie is not in English, um, which I think is fantastic. Like it starts off and the first, what seems like 10 minutes are subtitled and like, which I'm like, okay, that's, that's awesome. Cause I feel like they could have easily Americanized that. Like we're saying of like, you know, stripping all of that out and just having everyone speak English, even though they shouldn't be speaking English um, at times they should be speaking their like native language. Or you do and the I hunt for the like, red October thing where you go into the mouth of the character no, and come back out yeah. and like the translation. That can be fun. That can be fun in a goofy pulpy movie, but not in something like, and again, comic book movies are that sometimes, but um, I just appreciate like in an MCU movie too. It's like, no motherfuckers, you got to read subtitles for a while. <laughs> like you just yeah. like, be, we're going to be authentic to that. And, um, and sure there are characters that go, Oh, uh, I speak English, so they start speaking in English, and that's fine. And or you like, have Aquafina's um, character who, who understands, just, yeah, but which is great. Speak it as well, and and I that's think that that's such a normal well. thing. Like I, I, having friends, I remember growing up with my friend Mike, who uh, his family's Polish, and even Nevis, um, who is, is Croatian. Like um, she speaks Croatian, but her Croatian is like it's not her native language, and or she came here at a very young age, much like Aquafina's character in the movie, right? Where you can understand it and you can sort of speak it, but you almost don't speak it because you know you can't speak it properly. So you kind of respond in English, and then sometimes your elders will understand English, but they can't speak English very well. So it's like this weird mishmash of someone speaking in English and the other person person speaking in their native language but they're both talking to each other and can understand one another but they can't speak the language that was a lot but like that's something that i thought was really interesting that they yeah that they do here and that i feel like is such a natural thing that you know a lot of uh families that have immigrated to you know the united states or to canada or wherever in english English speaking countries yeah yeah that um, that's so normal. So yeah, shout out to that as well. So um, yeah, I, I, I'm going to give it a four, but I was so close to giving it a four and a half. I just think that um, I agree with you, Eric, that it does uh, fumble a bit with that last act. I think Aquafina's character is written a little weirdly, um, even though I love her. Um, but everything else I think kind of nails it. And I feel like, you know, on, upon rewatch, I could possibly bump this up even higher and like, uh, we'll post our MCU rankings over on our letterbox page. So go subscribe over there, which is uh, untitled podcast over on letterboxd. Um, so we'll post air. Eric's already got a couple comments that his list is very interesting. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> and I'm then, not trying to be a contrarian. I just, I love not, you, Iron Man three. Yeah. It's uh, for people that have not listened to the show or haven't watched before. Iron Man three is, is still my one, favorite yeah. MCU movie because it was which, the first film in the MCU that I saw the filmmaker's voice truly coming through. Like that was a Shane black movie through and through like I mean, that could I have know- just been lethal weapon iron man edition yeah and we're celebrating 10 years of friendship this year i think as well as you know four years doing this show we've been podcasting forever um but i I love that like and me being an mcu fan that kind of faded during age of ultron but they came back around i think around at the same time as you and i know you were kind of mixed to indifferent on you know the mcu for a long time and i think iron man 3 was that movie where i mean you still you know, go in and they're hit or miss. But um, I, I have seen you, st- you can see where they kind of turned a corner and they did give filmmakers more control and they started taking more risks. And like, that's when I started to get really into the MCU again is because like when we kept getting, ironically, we have more MCU than we've ever had before. We have like a hundred projects this year, but like when Age of Ultron came out, I was like, all right, I think we're getting the same thing over and over again. Like, I just don't really care about this. And then I think I, I'm with you with Iron Man 3, where I think me and you, um, a lot of people didn't like that movie because, you know, Tony Stark's not Iron Man for a big chunk of it. and Which Mandarin, I love. That's the thing the Mandarin, I love about that movie. Yeah. <laughs> and the Mandarin reveal people really didn't like, right? Those two things make, you know, but that Air Force One sequence in Iron Man 3 is one of the best action sequences in the MCU. And I just think that movie um, in general uh, is absolutely, like, it's just a fun political thriller, that movie. And, like, that is where it turned a corner for me, where they started hiring more interesting directors. They started giving them, I mean, they always hired interesting people, but they, you know, Kevin Feige was like, okay, I'm here to steer the ship. I'll kind of let you do what you want. I'll still tell you, you still have to do things here and there to connect things, but like, we'll let you put your stamp on things. And I feel like we've continued to get that 
um, at least in these singular movies, like, you know, the team up movies, you know, the Russos controlled those for a while and they felt like Russo team up movies, but like the individual movies feel like, you know, they're bringing in interesting people. And that's why I'm so excited for Chloe Zhao's Eternals and like, you know, the other people that they've brought in that, um, uh, you know, Taika Waititi coming back and like, just, you know, these, these individual voices that can kind of, you know, put their spin on the MCU and do different genres and do different things or get inspired by international cinema or get inspired by slapsticks, goofy comedy, or get like, we're talking about what if right now where we're getting a murder mystery this Wednesday, we've reviewed the first three episodes of what if, if you want to go check that out on this channel, you guys can check that out as well. Um, so I just, I, I, it's a really exciting thing. And I turned a corner at the same time and yeah, not every movie is fantastic. Um, and on top and, of that, I just want to say with Iron Man yeah. three, the other thing that I really loved about it is that even though it's still very cartoony and, and kind of, you know, again, it's almost a like comic book movie, a yeah. comic book movie, but almost like a, a weird sort of buddy cop comedy oh, thing yeah, as yeah. well. But the thing I also kind of liked is that it introduced post-traumatic stress yeah. and that we saw tony going through the events of you know everything that that basically uh, accumulated through both the avengers movies and him yeah. dealing with you know the idea of 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 being human because obviously the thing that they never really tackled completely in tony stark's you know storyline that's prevalent in the comic the alcoholism books. yeah is the demon in the bottle you know storyline so this almost that kind of almost replaced it a, a little bit where i think that that's also what kind of made that movie or sold me where i saw tony stark as i mean he's still cartoony he's still a, a, a two-dimensional character but, but they give you know uh, there's weight to the things that happen in these movies and you know someone who discovers that aliens are real and they save the universe and like all this shit like you're gonna be fucked up from that and yeah and it was cool to actually see that in a movie and then that's wrapped around you know a, a shane black movie essentially and in in the mcu so um yeah it, it's they turned a corner and they've continued to crush it and like um i i can't wait to see eternals now and and did, did the spider-man trailer come out i don't know we're recording this so um i'm excited for the rest of the year and then the disney plus stuff feels totally different and that's the one thing i didn't touch on uh too much but like i do feel like there's a distinct vibe to the disney plus shows even though they all feel completely different and a distinct vibe to you know big screen mcu movies like this felt like you know no this is a 200 million dollar movie compared to you know you get 20 million dollars an episode on the disney plus shows and they just have different obviously different pacing being television and movies but like um but I they do, do think, connect well and complement each can, other i totally agree with that i just feel yeah. like when it comes to the action sequences and the pacing and like just the feel of it like this felt you know big screen and i'm not diminishing like i loki and wandavision are you know in my top 10 mcu projects and they're really close to shang chi um, when it comes to ranking stuff. Um, but I just feel like this just had that big screen vibe that I don't even think black widow had. Um, do you also think that maybe coming back to maybe the theater and, and not having seen uh, an MCU film in since the theater far since, from home. yeah, Spider-Man far from home, two years, almost like maybe sort of added yeah. to that experience Absolutely. of watching it. And we even saw it at a shitty theater too. Like, <laughs> like that's the, the Scotiabank thing. theater like, in Toronto. Um, you know, the IMAX theater is a great theater, but the um, AVX theater is pretty decent, but we saw it in one of the normal theaters. So there was no masking. It was super dim. Like right away eric and i was like i had the same problem in captain marvel i'm like is it the lighting in the movie or is the projection bad and i'm like i'm pretty sure just the projection is bad and then there's a dead pixel in the corner right in front of your line of sight like yeah. right where you were sitting and i was and just it was like, really yeah. noticeable yeah, like yeah. and and the older you get the more you know fidgety and and fastidious you become and it, it, like those things never used to bother me as much because I was just like, you know, I'll just let it go. I'm, I'm happy to be sitting in a movie theater and enjoying it. But today, for some reason, every time, like when there was a brighter looking scene, I would just look at that side of the yeah. corner and be like, man, this is such like, again, it doesn't affect my opinion of the film, but it does. It, it does make you wish that, you know, Disney would, 
you know, look into that kind of stuff or like any studio that that is is screening a film at the Scotiabank Theater or any theater for that matter. You know, they do uh, screen tests before critics come in and this is inside <laughs> baseball. But yeah, it, I think it is. I think picture and presentation in general is just it's super important. So important. It did remember, hinder my experience a little bit. During this, and it yeah. reminded me a little bit of the experience we had with with, you know, Spectre and, yeah, and the, the, the Bond probably, film. But yeah. Like, that was well, well, we've talked about that before, but anyways, like it doesn't obviously I still really enjoyed the movie, but um, it, it that added on to I want to see this again, either in IMAX or in uh, a, a really solid, properly masked, bright theater with great sound. Um, but I, I can't wait to watch it again. Um, I can't wait to talk about it more in spoilery detail because I feel like there is a lot of stuff to talk about that we had to kind of dance around in this. Um, but uh, that being said, how much do you think for, Sonic would like this film? Yeah, there's some good Sonic references. Notice the rings, obviously. And there's a moment underwater that I noticed that I felt like was a Sonic reference. And there's a music cue that I want to throw into that scene when it eventually is available. That, you know, somebody's um, going to. I know. And I will. I'll do it first because. <laughs> I want to. Um, but thank you all for listening. Uh, four out of five for me, a 3.5 out of five for Eric. Um, if this is your first time listening or watching, um, and you've stuck you so to much. 60 minutes, <laughs> um, I mean, it's an hour, it's a, it's a Marvel movie, baby. Um, we do this uh, multiple times weekly. Uh, we review all kind of the biggest and uh, new releases, both theatrically and um, on streaming, uh, now in video and podcast form. So it's Untitled Movie Reviews on your favorite podcast service, or you can get it right here on YouTube. Uh, please uh, like, subscribe, share, all that jazz. Uh, go follow us on Letterboxd, like I mentioned, Untitled Podcast. We're Untitled underscore cast on all those social medias, uh, other social medias. Um, please subscribe to our other shows, which are the the Untitled Movie Podcast and Untitled Movie Conversations. Those are also available on all other podcast services. Our 100th episode just went out, which is why we're celebrating with a brand new YouTube channel and things like that. Uh, please show it to your friends. If people like movies, please, we're begging you. <laughs> no, I spent so much time on this. Out no. of all the people on YouTube that you could go and listen, and listen to and us. watch. Yeah, maybe if, you know, in between other people as well. I'm hoping yeah. that one day we'll also be in pog form. Yeah. Uh, but thank you. As always, my name is Matt Rohrbeck. You can find more of my work uh, around the internet, but mostly at untitledmoviepodcast.com. And you can follow me on all the social medias at Matt Rohrbeck. And I'm Eric Marchin. You can uh, find more of my video reviews at rogerstv.com slash cinemascene and on the social medias at EM6211. Until next time. In the words of the dude, fuck the Eagles. God damn it. <laughs>